Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 74, I think it is, of uh, A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. If you're new to the podcast, this is a fuck this week edition uh, where I sort of cover some of the stories that have happened in the last week. Uh, It's solo. I've not got a guest on this. So if you prefer the episodes where I do have uh, a guest with me, then uh, I'm joined by James Benison tonight. That's a, a live stream, half past seven Every Friday I've got a guest and tonight it is the wonderful, charming and very funny James Benison. So don't miss that. Um, What's happened in the last week? Let's have a think about things, shall we? Uh, Quite a bit has happened in the last seven days. It's been a right fucking abortion. Um, uh, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. Was that that last week or this week? I don't even remember. Uh, But it happened a a period of time ago. Uh, So save your shit hot takes for a blog on the Pope called Shit Hot Takes. Because uh, I think we're done with that here, for now, until the next Will Smith scandal emerges from the dark, joyless abyss that is his marriage and family. Um, but the Scientology rumours were fun. They're always fun, aren't they? When you hear that they've got another one <laughs> on some dodgy blackmail shit. You're, yeah, you're, you're a Scientologist now. No, I'm not. I came to like two meetings and I did one personality test and that's it. Yeah, but do you remember in those meetings you told us a load of shit that you don't want getting out to the public? Oh, fuck, I did, didn't I? (laughs) Yeah, so look, here's your meter read thing and a pamphlet about planets and aliens. Take this and your thetan and we'll see you in the Tom Cruise suite next Thursday. That's how they get them. If if you've not watched, like, Going Clear or whatever that documentary was, or, like, the, um, yeah, like, the Louis Theroux stuff, uh, jump into it, because it's really, it's wild. Um, So there was the Scientology stuff, and, and then there was the interviews where... Uh, his kids seem to be on PCP <laughs> talking about cosmic energy and how it guides their journey or some shit. Like, just bizarre rhetoric for kids to come out with, frankly. Like, my kids talk about shapes and Peppa Pig and Lego. Will Smith's kids were, like, 12 in the interviews talking about quantum physics and the elasticity of time. Like, they're fucking weird. They're weird kids. And and so Scientology and the kids' interviews, and, like, and then we get to his wife's inarguably shit band, to the affair, the daytime network television entanglement interview, up to the Oscars, and it all get like it kind of feels played out now. We need a new instalment to be able to find something interesting in it again. I feel I feel like I'm phoning this in now by talking about Will Smith, and the most recent instalment was like a week ago. So I, like I don't know. We we need another hit, Will. We need something else to make it exciting to talk about Will Smith again, which is totally the wrong thing to say. It's the wrong attitude for somebody like me to have, isn't it? Like encouraging desperate attention seeking Hollywood types that you need them to do something else now to be relevant. Like kanye you know, every other month. Oh, he's been sectioned. Oh, he's at Glastonbury. Oh, he's running for president. What will he do next? You know, whether it's Will Smith or Kanye or Gemma Collins It's the same shit. Like, the pop culture success stories are the ones that keep fucking getting in bother every couple of months. They've got this sort of attitude, haven't they, where it's like, who, me? What, you you want me to get into an argument with a paparazzi or overdose on prescription meds or or post on Instagram that I've got hepatitis or slap a celebrity and and then you'll care about me again? (laughs) Then I'll trend on TikTok? You've got it. They shimmy off to their agent's offices and... You know, there's that sort of mentality. So I don't know. Look, there was that whole thing. Fuck, I wasn't even going to talk about Will Smith. And now here we are pulling apart 
like celebrity in all its 21st century ugliness. We're probably about a year away, Tops, from the first Supermax Jail reality show. <laughs> where, where people vote on their favourite incredibly dangerous inmate and some, like, murderous psychopath who rape-murdered three women in 2004 will win the vote because he happens to be quite good-looking. And there'll be, like, tabloids running coverage, like, Lady Killer Lawrence Martin-Jones or something, like, made, made some mistakes 20 years ago but won the hearts of the nation with his prison yard rendition of the Macarena. And he'll win visiting rights and, like, food privileges and shit. Like, you think that sounds extreme and dystopian, right? But then you remember that people will shortly be fucking each other for petrol. <laughs> That's, so we're not far... Like, you know, we could, I don't think we should rule out dystopian and awful just yet. Uh, I don't know. Bills are soaring. Petrol's getting more expensive. Reality shows don't give a fuck about safety or responsibility. Like, they're still showing Love Island, and that fucking killed three people. <laughs> and still, like, sponsors line up, like, oh, beautiful people committing suicide? Fuck yeah, that's my brand. I always thought, I always thought a fun reality show would be celebrity brain surgeons. You know? You know, those, that, there's a format, isn't there, of of reality show where they take celebrities and then try to teach them how to be a taxi driver <laughs> you know like celebrity taxi driver like just some mundane shit job well i think you could spice it up i think it should be like celebrity brain surgery like we we take 12 of your favorite celebrities from the worlds of third division football and boy bands who got one top 20 hit back into fucking naughties and <laughs> The lookalike circuit guy and some tabloid hack who used to write about celebrities. And we give them six weeks to learn complex neurosurgery before the final challenge. To perform a high stakes life or death procedure on a real life patient. Like, you know, like, that, I think that would be great. That would be, I would watch that show. I'm not really a big reality TV guy, but that would get me in, I think. I think it'd be great. It'd be people like Jade Goody back in the day, or I guess like Gemma Collins now, prodding around in some financially crushed pensioner's brain. And they'd be like, oh, it's all, it's all gooey. You know, like prodding in that old bastard like who volunteered for the operation on the show on the off chance he survives and then he wins twelve thousand pounds for taking part like not even big money you know <laughs> that's the thing like nowadays celebrity shows and game shows and like contests and big brother like it's not even big money anymore do you remember when game shows used to pay out stuff like two hundred and fifty thousand pounds or like who wants to be a millionaire and you know, when Barrymore and like Jim Davidson and Bob Monkhouse were hosting game shows, it was like the equivalent of like what now would be like hundreds of thousands of pounds. But that's only because there was only four channels back then. Right. So out of a choice of neighbours, the news, more news and this, like you'd watch this along with seven million other people. So like huge numbers of people tuning into like blockbusters or. I don't know, whatever the fuck else was on. And so because there was like 7 million people watching this thing, they had huge advertising happening, like big money. And so big prizes. And now now it's like 200 channels 
and YouTube and people are on their Spotify's and, you know, like some of them are broadcasting and literally no one is watching. <laughs> so like advertising is minimal. <laughs> you could run an advert on some shows on GB News for like 50 pence, I reckon. 50p will get you an advert on GB News. Incidentally, my rate, 25 pence, uh, in case anyone's wondering. For 25 pence, I will sell my integrity down the fucking toilet. You can get me to say literally anything for 25. In fact, um, do you know what? I'm going to update my Patreon. Five quid, you get monthly access to exclusive content and blah, blah, blah. But for 25p, I will call myself a cunt. Um, and so anyway, look, um, now the prizes on like mod modern reality TV contests and, and, and that ilk of show... It's like, you could win a cheque for £12,000. Oh, fucking great. <laughs> you know? Like, you, you go on this fucking reality show, you take six weeks off work, you're not getting a salary in that time, you're racking up bills and debts. Like, and then let's say you do win it. Let's say you're lovable enough, you're the favourite, and you get through all of the heats and the challenges and stuff. Oh, here's your, here's your cheque for £12,000. Oh, well, that's my credit card and a driveway paid for. <laughs> In exchange for making myself look like a right fucking tit. And people, like, memeing me to death and, you know, like, becoming the butt of jokes. And things that you just happen to say become your catchphrase that people scream at you across the street. Strangers saying shit to you. Anyway, celebrity. Fuck me. That was a rant. I was saying to Tan the other day, um, that's Super Tansky, if you're unfamiliar with the podcast and my Twitter or whatever... And it's and it's alumni. Uh, I was saying to Tan that because she's edging closer and closer to like a hundred thousand followers on Twitter, she's starting to command a bit of clout online, right? And whether it's TikTok or Twitter or her appearances on Byline and like I I was saying, a lot of these reality TV shows get influencers from social media platforms like TikTok and like Twitter. And they get them on because it helps to bolster the marketing for the reality show. You know, like they could get this guy over here or they could get the Instagram model with 300,000 followers on because she'll post stuff to her Insta telling people to watch it. And then it's like free advertising, isn't it? It's like hiring the talent and the PR all in one. And so I was like, how long before Tan ends up on Love Island or like Big Brother or some shit. Like, it can't be long. She's like, as she edges closer to 100,000, she must be on like in people's periphery for potential, you know, or like how long before she gets a sort of, you know, an agent in that sense. I was like, I will not watch shit like Big Brother. I, f I honestly feel like I'm above it. I know that's <laughs> probably shouldn't say that out loud. I feel like I'm better than people that spend their life watching Big Brother. Uh, but if you put Tan in Big Brother with like 10 other housemates who were all Tories, I would fucking watch. I'd get a bag of popcorn. I would sit there. I'd tune in every night for the updates to see how crazy we could make her <laughs> living in close quarters, restricted. And all she gets to hear all day is just silver spoon Etonian cunts coming out with like Toryisms. Well, <laughs> I mean, all, all of these uh, kids today, snowflakes, bloody, yeah, they could afford a house if they wanted. Just slowly, Tan's getting more and more irate. It may end up being the first ever reality TV murder. I don't know. We can't rule it out. 
I mean, the only thing that gets in the way of putting someone like Tan, bless her, love her, uh, on something like that is the watershed, I think. Like, would they? Could they deal with the swearing? I don't know. And I'm not judging. I fucking love swearing, obviously. Um, and and it's not a, a sort of, you know, sexist or traditionalist thing. I love women who swear. Uh, but I don't think it's a stretch to think ITV producers, you know, as sort of, I don't know, like... Can you imagine ITV being all, all right, you know? I could I could totally imagine producers being like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about the bad language, though, Tom, you know, to be honest. Like, she's pretty, she's smart, she's funny, but the bad language is a problem. You know, rigged phone voting, cool. Multiple suicides, fine. But bad language, unacceptable. You know, I could see them being drawing the line at dropping the F-bomb. Um I don't think we're the sort of people who get hired into those opportunities anyway, though, are we? Like, Not that I'm in Tan's league in terms of social media followings or, or comedy value even, but I think they go for, like, you know, they go for, like, inspiring, you know, like, inspi- inf- influencers. They're influential. They're inspirational. It's all, you know, upbeat and, like, you could make it if you just put a smile on your face. You know, it's like that sort of kind of healthy eating lifestyle types, you know, where, like we deal in dystopia and muck and dirt and just generally depressing people, I think, you know, like we, we scrape the dirt off the bottom of the bin and we're like, hey, look at this, <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not, we're, we're binfluencers, that's what we are, that's where we fit in, there we go, if you, if you're also more interested in the awfulness and horror of existence, if you doom scroll in bed at night and the highlight of your day is seeing someone else exercising their gallows humour, if that's you, then join my fucking hashtag Bimfluencers army. That is possibly the most social media thing I've ever done. The podcast's first catchphrase, hashtag Bimfluencers. How the fuck did we get here from saying we aren't going to talk about Will Smith today? To being to to pulling apart celebrity and influencers and influencers. Fuck. Anyway, what else is in the news this week? Um, look, there's been there's been usual, the usual. Sorry, I did say I can't talk. Uh, the usual main stories dominating the front pages. Uh, Ukraine has descended into something resembling a fucking nightmare. I honestly don't. I kind of don't want to go near Ukraine as a topic right now because it's just too dark. You know, it's like. Like, I like my sense of humour and comedy content dark, but it's almost like I like finding the darkness in normally uplifting topics, you know? Like the dark side of love. (laughs) The dark truth hidden behind a shitty pop group, you know? Like, it's funny to me to take something super sweet like K-pop and crack jokes about how they're all on crack and made to dance for it, you know? like Or like, um, you know, with... with, uh, uh, fuck me, what's that, what's that massive K-pop group called? Oh, I'm never going to remember their name now. Um, they, well, I think they were performing at the Grammys last week. I can't, oh, fuck me, never going to remember their name. Anyway, like, there's this one really massive K-pop group. Should I Google for it? Let's have a look, hold on. K-pop group. Live TV guys. BTS, that's the one I'm thinking of. Right, so BTS are a massive K-pop, like, uh, Korean pop group uh and there's like there's a couple of them who are quite obviously gay (laughs) and so 
I like the idea. This is if, if this gives you a good example of where my dark comedy kind of versus sweetness versus darkness kind of comes from starts and finishes. Imagine like BTS, right, who are sort of this super sweet K-pop group. But I like the idea that they only want to be a successful pop group and go international, right, so that they can get the fuck out of South Korea and move somewhere that gay marriage is legal. You know, like some something light and fun and then you find a darkness in it like that. Do you know what I mean? That's comedy with a dark lean or dark sheen on it. But with Ukraine, when something is already dark and horrible and awful like like for once i actually agree with people when they say there is nothing funny in that and you know normally i'm a um a sort of you you know you can joke about anything kind of guy but i think it's a testament to how fucked it all is that you actually haven't heard any like if any at all jokes about what's happening in ukraine you know and I'm I'm on various WhatsApp chat groups with, you know, sort of old friends where people post very unfortunate memes and, you know, silly jokes and stuff. Uh, but aside from a few memes about Russian tanks being driven off by Ukrainian farmers and I saw like I saw one about Putin waves like looking out of a rainy window, looking sad. And there's like currency graphs gr- crashing all around him because the ruble was crashing. Right. And then the, the caption on it is like. Putin when I buy his palace for $2.50. Like, I mean, something like that. So some of those things, like, you know, jokes that are related to the situation in Ukraine. But there's no bad taste, awful jokes flying around. Like, you'd expect maybe there might be, you know, with a big story like this. And I don't know, I think that says something about the severity and the seriousness with which people take it and the empathy that we feel for them over there. Uh, or or maybe I'm just not exposed to those ugly corners of Facebook and shitty WhatsApp groups uh, that are sharing this stuff. I don't know. But I tell you what, I am getting really bored of the coverage, though. <laughs> I know I know that sounds bad. I don't mean like... I don't mean like, you know, when you see a, a news report from Ukraine and it says like, uh, and 27 people were found dead in a car park. In, and then I'm like, oh, this shit again. Boring. It's like, turn it over to celebrity brain surgeons, man. You know, I don't mean like that. I mean, like the quality of the news coverage of Ukraine. I'm really tired of the bullshit. You know, it's not that, uh, that the shock factor of Ukraine is saturated with me. It's just that I want them to tell the truth. I just want them to acknowledge the actual foundations that's causing this and it continues to perpetuate it. You know, because like in my mind, the whole thing is about natural resources. And I think I think I've touched on this before. I wrote a blog on it, uh, two blogs on it, actually. Uh, and it's like it's so obviously so about natural resources like like back up a bit right look at it geopolitically holistically you have russia and russia's economy is almost entirely oil and gas everyone knows that and then you have the eu and the eu buy or until recently bought a shitload of gas from russia russia did not want ukraine joining the eu or even really being an independent sovereign nation who could sell natural gas to the eu that is as far as Russia is concerned, muscling in on their patch, taking their customer, right? And Ukraine has a shit ton of natural gas, along with lithium and steel. And and it's like, the whole situation is like, like, imagine this, right? You run a shit, untrustworthy takeaway in your hometown. And it's called legally fried chicken, 
or something. You know, nobody likes it. Nobody trusts it. But they buy a bag of fried chicken there twice a week because it's there and it's always been there. And, and that's it. It's, it's kind of hated. But, you know, it's the butt of jokes around the pub table about how terrible it is. And that is universal. Everyone understands that this one takeaway is bad. And that's your your takeaway. Then this little new fried chicken place opens up. And maybe it's artsy and it's a sort of pop-up kind of vibe, hipster, little fried chicken joint, you know, and the food kind of tastes the same. But these new guys have just got a better reputation and it just seems nicer and it's closer and you start chatting with the new guys and looking at their menu. And and then instead of legally fried chicken going, huh, like maybe we need to stop being so shit or maybe we need to win people's trust back or, you know, they just fight fire with fire, (laughs) you know. Like they go, they go, oh, you, you thought we were untrustworthy cunts, huh? Well, would an untrustworthy cunt do this? And then they release like 500 rats into the new restaurant. They call the local food authority and health, health and safety board. And like that's kind of what this is. It's like Russia saw the new kid on the block. And instead of saying, all right, let's work together. Let's evaluate the sales pitch. Let's clean up our reputation. They just went all in like mother fuck these ankle nippers no like let's wipe the floor you know so he took crimea then they had problems drilling off crimea's shore because ukraine cut the fresh water supply off so so then he invaded the whole fucking country and all of that seems incredibly clear to me right and maybe to you but the coverage is just this endless repetition of like has putin gone mad you know over here and then over there it's like we are denazifying Ukraine over, you know, it's, it's, it's never, they've got gas, we need gas. Putin's willing to murder and steal to get it, to sell it. And we're willing to defend a country who want to decide what they get to do with it themselves. You know, sovereign nation stuff. We're willing to stand in and defend that. Uh, but we will also stand to benefit from their gas, probably. It's never that. It's never that clear. But that is honestly how I see it, and I've yet to see anything that sort of dispels that. So it's never that. It's always some good versus evil story, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, I'm not saying there's not a lot of evil going on. Obviously, what Putin is doing is is very, very bad. I don't know. I just wonder if our intentions, as they are uh, broadcast by the media, if our intentions are as pure as as they narrate, if you like. You know, are we really doing this because we want to back up sovereign nations? Like, would we do this if this was like a little African country being invaded by another African country? Would we step in and be like, oh, you've got to respect this nation. I don't think we would. I think I I doubt it would even come up in like PMQs. You know, oh, the people of uh, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, we've got to step in and defend them against an invasion by this other country. I'm showing how little I know about Africa now. I'm so ignorant. I don't know what country's border what. But like, you know, if that was the situation, if it was one African country invading another one, I don't think anyone would even fucking put it into page seven or ten of of a newspaper. I don't think anyone would care. So it's, I don't know. There's something in that, isn't there? Like, wouldn't it blow your fucking mind? Wouldn't it blow your mind if Boris Johnson, Macron, Ursula... And Biden all came on TV and agreed, like nodded in unison. And they were like, Ukraine have a lot of gas and we'd quite like them, if not in the EU, 
to at least be selling competitively to the EU so as to keep fossil fuels running until we switch to renewables and also to weaken an increasingly disruptive and erratic Russia. We love gas. We need gas like a fucking 28 days later zombie fiending for it. (laughs) Wouldn't that blow your fucking mind if they just communicated things that honestly? I don't know. A lot gets said. A lot gets said about how this is the first information war, doesn't it? I've seen Carol Codwaller talk about that stuff, uh, about how we're fighting on two fronts with this. There's the violent military battle lines, right? And then there's the media narratives, which is basically a modern way of saying both sides use propaganda, you know? Like, do you, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but whenever I see a BBC News article that says something like, Russia have lost 12,000 soldiers, I'm, I'm always a bit like, but you would say that, wouldn't you? Like, why is this, who is this for? You know, are you trying to sort of warp our perspective about how badly it's going for Russia? Or is this an honest appraisal of their performance in this invasion? You know? And besides, like, you know, clearly propaganda has been used in wars before. Uh, I don't think it's a new thing. It is weird, though, how fifth gear has gone in this. You know, like with fake news, like like fake news used to be like back in the day, way back. Fake news was what, like a made up tabloid story. (laughs) You know, they'd say shit like Michael Jackson sleeps in an oxygen chamber or um, what was that fucking really famous one? I think it was about Ozzy Osbourne. There's a tabloid headline that said, like, uh, rock star ate my hamster, you know, because he didn't even, like, bite a gerbil or, like, bat's head or so. It was something like that. And you'd second guess it. You'd be like, maybe this is tabloid nonsense. You know, like, that, that was fake news. Or at least that was the fake news of its day. And then when Trump and Clinton were campaigning in, like, 2015, it kind of, you know, it took a turn at that point. You had literal news studios set up looking like, Real news studios, but they, like it's it wasn't ever a real news show. It was just set up to distort the news and be shared around on Facebook. And and so these like these little five minute clips were presumably filmed in someone's garage to make it look like but like set up with green screens and like, you know, smart looking journalists. So you would assume that it was a real news show, but they were like fake journalists shooting segments about Pizzagate. And that was when the actual term fake news came about. It was literally fucking fake news. <laughs> and then what's amazing is like Trump then did the old switcheroo on it. And instead of it being literal fake news shows, fake news productions, it became anything that was written about him that he did not like. So it was like, did Hillary run a paedophile pizza place? Is she crooked Hillary? Did she do something weird with her emails? Oh, well, who knows? It's a mystery. Who I can't, couldn't possibly say, you know, but people are saying that, you know, that was his response to all of those things. But then if it was something like, did I sexually harass or assault 12 separate women and pay off a stripper and threaten her and inflate the assets of my business to secure bigger loans to live off because I'm not actually a billionaire, but I pretend to be one. Like if, if it was that sort of stuff, it was like, oh, that, no, that's fake news. That was his response. So he changed what we perceive fake news to be. It was originally like, well, as I say, originally tabloid nonsense. Then it became fake news productions that were supposed to look like real news shows. And then it just became this catch all for Donald Trump. 
you know, anything he didn't like, fake news. And then it got overused, you know, to, to cover anything. Like even Onion articles and parody accounts on Twitter. It's like, oh, that, no, no, it's a fake news account. So now we, we spool forward to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and fake news is back. And it's matured and exploded into this weird, like, domestic thing in Russia, right? Like where Russian journalists just totally misrepresent what is actually happening. It's like seeing the news from a different dimension. It's not even like a fake news production in somebody's garage, like I was saying before. It's like a real news broadcaster, but telling you absolute fucking untruths. It's like watching the news from a different timeline. It's not that Russia have invaded, murdered and levelled a foreign country. It's that Ukraine has become infested with neo-Nazis. Putin has to clean it up against this like backdrop of what, like always sticking up for the little guy. <laughs> You know, like, Putin is a hero. Welcome to the six o'clock news in Moscow. And I'm here to tell you that despite never doing anything for anyone else's benefit other than his own, all the shit in Chechnya, Syria, the rich history of distorting the truth, of lying and covertly murdering people who speak out against the state, the Emperor Putin's men have liberated the oppressed people of Ukraine. Reports suggest that despite a bruising encounter with democracy, thanks to hero Russia King Vladimir the Merciful, Reports suggest they're going to be okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's obviously rubbish. It's quite obviously fake, literally fake news. But they gobble it up, you know, because that's like, that is the wild thing about it. It's like Russians, everyday Russians, must know the hold that the state have over the media. And people, like, and, and like Russian Wait, let me back up a bit. I already told you I can't speak this morning. I'm somewhat hung, hungover. So everyday mus Russians must know the hold that the state have over the media and the people who would dare to speak the truth, right? Because whenever somebody does speak out, whether it's their leader of opposition who's currently rot rotting in jail uh, or if it's uh, the band Pussy Riot, I don't know if you guys remember them, or Litvinenko or the Skripals, Eventually, they get got, you know, I think Pussy Riot have I think they were jailed for like a month or something. But they I mean, they're still alive for now. Um, but everyday Russians must know that, that that's what happens, that there is this hold, that there is this restriction on truth. And yet still all the Vox Pops of people in Russia and the polling, which admittedly, you know, you can't fully rely on when it comes out of Russia. But the polling and the Vox Pops of people walking around Moscow when they're asked, like, do you support Putin? Yeah, absolutely. You know. By and large, Russians, everyday Russians seem to still support Vladimir Putin and believe the news that they're getting, even though they know that it must be incredibly biased and government approved and state controlled. Like, how weird is that to know that you're living in a hugely compromised synthetic news bubble, but to still go, yeah, it's probably right, though. You know, like it's 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 fucking it's weird. But you imagine situations where it's like, uh, you know, uh, Dimitri, right? You understand if journalists tell the truth, they'll get a polonium sandwich, right? You understand that? Yes. But you're just going to blindly believe them when they tell you that Russian, Russia is like honourable 
and amazing and you know they bravely killed neo-nazi scum to protect grateful people in ukraine and 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 it you know what putin's trying to do here is to secure you a seat at the table in the utopian afterlife he's heroic he's amazing like and then dimitri's like well sir, no smoke without fire you know like it's like they just gobble it up it's wild i guess like is there a psychological lesson there I hope I'm making sense. I hope I'm not rambling too far off piste here. That I'm staying on some sort of point for you. <laughs> but is there like a psychological lesson there that like in the absence of actual accurate information, you will still believe what you know to be lies over believing nothing sort of thing? You know, like there's a sort of there's a parallel with UK news, I think, in the sense that nobody trusts the tabloids, do they? Like, if you asked your mates if they believe what they read in the papers, I reckon they'd almost all say fucking no. <laughs> or you'd, like, you'd tell them something outrageous and salacious about a celebrity or about their favourite footballer, and they would go, well, where did you hear that? And you would say, like, well, I read it in the mail or the sun or whatever. And then the, their go-to line immediately would be like, oh, well, if you read it in the sun, it must be true. You know, like, they're so, like we're so cynical about the information that comes out of newspapers. Nobody trusts the newspapers. And yet, the rubbish they ejaculate into the political discourse does, over time, subtly become accepted as fact. Because the press is majority owned by right-wing billionaires. And so there's an absence of actual, accurate information or like an absence of holding people to account effectively or an absence of looking at things from like a truly objective like perspective and so people just sort of you know in the absence of that they they will perhaps tacitly or like implicitly believe the lies it's the, i don't think it's a choice i think it's just that that headline or that slogan or that attitude just bleeds into their brain and then they just it it becomes the in air quotes truth to them you know I don't know what the solution is to that, by the way. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm just here to fucking rant and rave and tell you the problems. Like, I mean, look, clearly a more diverse set of newspapers and broadcasters and journalists and MPs who didn't go to private school with the people they're supposed to hold account, that might help. But that's never going to happen. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think there is a solution. Everything's fucked. There's no hope. Hashtag Bimfluencers. <laughs> I don't know. Look, if, if you have enjoyed this sporadic and somewhat erratic walk through the mind of an exhausted and slightly hungover father, uh, make sure you're liked and subscribed and all of the other tedious shit that people say at the end of the content. Everything is brought to you by the website uh, Funk27 Discontent Providers. Uh, blogs, podcasts, politics and dystopia to keep the doom lulls flowing. Uh, if you want early access to everything, um, I do have a Patreon. Uh, it's patreon.com slash aid Thompson. Um, and if you just want to say hey or buy me a beer or a coffee, uh, there's links to buy me a coffee and um, and Patreon and everything on Funk27. Also, obviously, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok as aid Thompson. Uh, join me later tonight, uh, half past seven for the live stream. I'll be chatting with comedian and all round good egg, James Benison. Uh, live 7.30 on YouTube and it will go out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all the other places uh, probably Saturday or Sunday um, and until then hashtag Bimfluencers for life <laughs> <laughs>